What's going on, everyone? Another episode here of Battleline Podcast. We are just coming off of Hanukkah, looking at the calendar here for all of you who have celebrated. It's one of those years where uh, on the Hebrew calendar, Hanukkah fell way before Christmas. Sometimes it kind of matches up a little bit better, but that means we're gearing up for Christmas and uh, hope you are all excited for that. We have a great episode lined up here. Well, one thing I wanted to address, actually, before we get into everything is uh, for the for the new listeners, because I feel like the loyal listeners kind of know this, uh, we get a lot of great reviews on Apple Podcasts, but I read all the comments that we get and emails sent to battlelinepodcast at gmail.com and that kind of thing. And and sometimes the newer listeners, I think, tune in and they see who the guest is and they want us to get right to who we have on, and, which I understand. Um, and I think the, the loyal listeners, the people who've been on board a while kind of get the format of the show. And uh, the way I would put it, the show is kind of a hangout. We'll, we'll get into whatever's going on at the moment. We'll talk about uh, different things in our lives. And and especially people who want to hear about Chris's Battleline Tactical courses and and get a better idea of, of what they'd be signing up for if they go to them and uh, giving a recap of, of after they happen. We get into that type of thing. So, you know... It, Hey, you're, you're welcome to skip through some of that and just get to the interview if that's why you're here. I, I understand that. But I think people really get the most out of the show when they get a chance to check out our full episodes and uh, really hear more about what we're up to, our take on things. And then, of course, the interviews are always in-depth. Interviews are always, uh, at the very least, like an hour long. So, you know, we don't rush through things. This is this is a hangout more than anything. This is the Battle Line Podcast Hangout. And uh, you're welcome to come aboard and, you know, you're also welcome to skip through it. I'm not going to say don't and don't listen if you do that. But this is how we kind of enjoy doing the format of things. And of course, I should say the sponsors that we have on board, we're only going to work with sponsors that we really like what they're doing and that we get great feedback from listeners on. Uh, We get a lot of emails of people who have checked out different products that that uh, of sponsors that we work with and and they all get some great feedback. So that's why we continue doing it. We're we're not going to put anything out there that we don't believe in. So um you know, you you're you're going to hear about something that you might want to check out when you listen to our full episodes. So I just wanted to throw that out there and uh with that, I know a lot of people are stressed during these holiday seasons. A lot of stressors pop up around the holidays. For me, I, I don't think it's so much related to the holidays as during the cold weather months, I start to get, uh, I, I start to actually wake up with with like a soreness in my upper back. I know a lot of people get lower back, but upper back and neck, like a stiffness. And, and there's a few different tools in my arsenal I use to work with that. I, you know, I'll do uh, lower weight, higher rep exercises with like the lat pull downs and the rows. Uh, I'll use my foam roller, but then another thing that really has helped me is Ned CBD. Ned CBD is just great for that. Ned is a USDA certified organic product. All of Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Peonia, Colorado. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. And I want to tell you about Ned's incredible brand new product, which has been in development for over a year. That is their Distress Blend, which contains CBG. And that's known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress 
by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. So this time of year, you guys are going to love the Distress Blend. All of Ned's products have full transparency. They share third-party lab reports, who farms their products, and their extraction process all right there on their site. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews. And make no mistake, they're truly science-backed with what they're doing. That's why they work with incredible partners within the medical field. Partners like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. So uh, check them out if you haven't already, or I know a lot of you guys have been on board for a while and are reordering. So right now for the holidays, Battleline listeners get 20% off Ned products with code BATTLELINE. When you spend more than $150, Ned is throwing in free gifts with every order. Visit helloned.com slash battleline to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash battleline to get 20% off plus free gifts with orders over $150. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring Battleline Podcast and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. We also love Audible. I, I seriously love Audible. They have so many great books that are coming out right now that I need to check out. Um, every time I read a book and I'm finished, I get excited because I could check out something else, either you know, either reading or to listen to on Audible. Like I want to check out that new Will Smith autobiography. Uh, there's a new book on Eddie Van Halen I want to check out. So I'm going to be on Audible quite a lot. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment all in one place. At Audible, you can find the largest selection of audiobooks ranging from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, languages, business, motivation, and more, like original entertainment from top celebrity creators and thousands of popular and binge-worthy podcasts, all from one app. I especially would recommend that you check out Frank Bellow's new book, Fathers, Brothers, and Sons. We just had Frank Bellow on the podcast, and if you do the audiobook on Audible, he narrates it. Trust us, it's it's hard work to do a full audiobook. I've done them before. Chris Peranto has done them before. So when authors really uh, take that step and take the time to do it themselves, it means a lot. So I'd recommend Frank Bellow's new book. I'm, I'm just about done with it myself, and, and I like it a lot. Uh, with Audible, you can always find the perfect title for whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, or whatever you're feeling. Audible allows you to find audiobooks that will inspire delight, help, or simply entertain you. With Audible, you can listen while working from home, cooking, exercising, on a walk, as a family activity, or just relaxing. And now with the new Plus catalog, an Audible membership is so much more valuable as it gives all members a chance to listen to and discover new favorites and new formats, like the exclusive Words Plus music series, or a podcast you've never considered before. We're on there. Check us out on there. And with the free Audible app on your smartphone or tablet, you can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. Audible can help people with their own personal goals, whether they want to learn something new, get more books in their life while doing other things, focus on mind and body, wellness, or simply enjoy a well-deserved diversion, which is always nice, you know, just to listen to that audiobook and get away, as we say, from the news media and just do something that you enjoy. It's going to be positive in your life. You can set your own goals and let Audible help you reach them. 
no matter how many books you want to get under your belt this coming year, for example. New members can always try Audible for free for 30 days, so you have nothing to lose. So join me on my Audible adventure. You will always be able to find the perfect title for you. Simply visit battlelinepodcast.com slash audible. That's battlelinepodcast.com slash A-U-D. I-B-L-E. That's our website right there. There's no promo code needed. Battlelinepodcast.com slash audible. Uh, with that, Chris Peranto is out this episode. He's doing uh, speaking engagement. I know he's been uh, kind of busy the end of this year. It's just how it's gone. But don't go anywhere. Great interview right here. So keep it locked. Let's go. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battleline podcast. Really honored to have on for this episode the founder and CEO of Vet Oga, and uh, we'll get all into that. I, I want to make sure I don't butcher your last name since we this is actually like our first time speaking a little bit more in depth. Justin, and how do I say your last name? <laughs> Blade Jueski. I I would have gotten it so wrong. <laughs> so Blade Blade Jueski. Hmm. That's right. Okay. Uh, I should give the audience the backstory on even how we met because most of the time when I have people on, it's someone Chris really goes back with, um, who he has history with, who we served with, or someone who I've met from my days of just doing podcasts in the past, you know, several years, number of years at this point, um, or someone who has a book out that they're pitching. I actually really, I was going to Pittsburgh to visit my uncle and my mom was really who ran into Justin. She saw Justin with his service dog. And I think beyond, you know, my mom loves dogs, wanted to meet the dog. I love dogs as well. Um, you know, and thank you for your service and everything. And I, I think every vet has a story that they could really tell, but I, I'm not going to really get everybody on the podcast. So, it, you know, most of the time it's just great to meet different vets. But when I saw what you do, I was like, this is a perfect story for the podcast. And then uh, researching you, I came across the CNN piece and everything. So there, there's definitely a lot to dig into here. Yeah, I'm glad that we bumped into each other and uh, passing. Uh, it was a pretty serendipitous, I guess you would call it. Yeah, at the uh, the Admiral's Lounge, I guess because my mom is like a frequent <laughs> flyer. It's my first time seeing it. And uh, I mean, it was fun. Nothing, nothing that prestigious, right? Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> like they have uh, cereal. It was my first time there, but they have like cereal and juice and, you know, like cucumber infused water and, uh, you know, and, and people are a little bit less crazy with the mask mandates. That's, that's I guess, the one positive. Yeah, it's a little uh, sanctuary when you're at the airport at a minimum, so. Although, you know, it's funny. So we saw each other on what was considered like the biggest travel day and the news media was blowing it up like, oh, you, you know, you're, it's going to be packed. And and we're at JFK, which is one of the biggest airports there is. And quite honestly, pretty calm. Not a whole lot going it was, on. It was really calm in JFK that morning, which surprised me, too. And you were you were there to see your family because you're California based, right? I'm California based and uh, my family's up in upstate New York. So I was visiting the East Coast um, for the holidays. That's all. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. Thank you. How about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Got to, um, like I said, see my uncle in Pittsburgh, who I haven't seen in a number of years, visit the uh, Museum of Natural History, which their museum there is like the biggest collection of dinosaur bones, which was really cool. Um, One of the guys who worked there, I don't really know what his background was, but he was like so well versed on everything which made it really uh, a great experience because he was able to say like this part of the dinosaur is a replica this these are actual bones and this is why like it was it was cool to be able to get into that is that is that downtown Pittsburgh? i would love to go check that out sometime i think so i'm, I'm really bad with uh like geography but it, it's definitely worth checking out a lot of the other stuff at the um museum is a lot of it is replicas, like a lot of the art stuff and the artifacts, like it even says on it that this is basically like a replica of something that's in Rome or something like that. It's a life-size replica, so it's cool to see. But with the dinosaur bones, there's something about being there and seeing like, okay, this is an actual dinosaur bone from however many thousands and thousands of years yeah, that's ago. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I think the history of that is what makes it awesome. Um but with that, I, I definitely want to get into your story as a Marine, as a contractor, and leading up to what you do now and getting into yoga. So I, I think the, the best way to begin would really be um, your your journey becoming a Marine, enlisting, and, and what made you enlist. And I'd love to get that backstory. Sure. I'd like to start from the beginning. So I grew up in upstate New York in a small town called Only in New York in Southwest over by Buffalo. Uh, so snow country this time of year. and um, come from a big family. I have five sisters and a brother and uh, pretty middle class, lower middle class growing up in um, college was I had partial scholarships. I played soccer, track, wrestled, things like that. And uh, it just wasn't adding up for me. And there was something inside that was telling me I wasn't going to be going to college. Um, and I had the opportunity, but I would have had to work for it and pay for it. And my family didn't have any money to help with that. But even when I was a junior in high school, I was looking at the Marine Corps and actually came home. I was 17 and had a talk with my mom. I'm like, hey, listen, <laughs> I have a proposal. So um, I laid out all everything. Every I've been planning this and I showed her like the financials of paying for college, the scholarships I had, all these things. And I said, this doesn't make logical sense to me. And there's also something that I would love to do and get a job guarantee to go into the Marine Corps to do avionics. And uh, that's exactly what I did. But she was kind of silent, but because uh, she knew I already made up my mind. And when that happened, she knew, knows that I'll actually fall through with it no matter what. So uh, I got to do that one year early enlistment in when I was a junior, which gave me the, the inactive reserve or inactive time that you have to usually 
have on the end of your active duty. Um, so I got to do that for a year and I left when I was 18 and went to boot camp in the Marine Corps in Paris Island for a nice vacation for 13 weeks and <laughs> uh, became Marine and then did my avionics school down in Pensacola, worked in helicopters and went up back to New River Air Station, which is out um, in North Carolina in Jacksonville. And um, I graduated top of my class on CH-46, um, those dual prop helicopters are Chinooks in the Army, similar. Uh, they're different aircrafts, but the Marine Corps and the Navy have the smaller version. And they gave me the option to go work on the President's helicopters at HMX-1. And at the time, that was a, I was either going to be going on a six-month float deployment uh, with the, where I was getting assigned already, or I was going to go back to Virginia and be assigned in Quantico. And I, I was like, this is a no-brainer for me. I don't want to go on a deployment right now. And went back to, to D.C. and... Uh, at the time, Bush, was, or I mean, uh, Clinton was in office. Okay, yeah, I was wondering the time period of this. So this is obviously yeah, so then pre nine eleven. Yeah, this was t- this was a tail end of Clinton the last year because I went in the Marine Corps in nineteen ninety eight and um, got there in ninety nine, and then most of my time there was under Bush. So um, I was there for nine eleven, and I was uh, Bush was down in Florida. I was up in Virginia, and we did a, an emergency evac of Dick Cheney the vice president and took him to Camp David and we set up a communications um, network there. So I had all the radios and comms going You're saying on, on nine 11 on the actual on, day on nine 11. Cause we do this wow. thing where every day when you work for the president, there's a, an emergency response uh, scenario that you do once a day, every day, 365 days a year, this bell goes off, you get, everybody runs out. You have two minutes to, to get to the South lawn and land the helicopter. Cool did it, check it off, go back. And that was ever, never, ever was it real. It was always a test. And on 9-11, we're like, something's different today. And we saw him basically carrying Dick Cheney, <laughs> pulling him fast and throw him in the helicopter and go up to uh, Camp David. And um, I heard every single communication for Air Force One, President, Vice President, SecDef, all those um, people involved. I was monitoring, making sure all the communication went through, through um, our communication system as the Marines and then the White House communication system, uh, WACA and the Pentagon communications. So that was my role in 9-11. I was kind of just thrown into a fire of comms and uh, it's pretty interesting to see at that, you know, I'm a young man in the middle of all this and we didn't know what was going on. And then, so I served the rest of my time in the Marine Corps and pretty chill, right? I didn't touch a war zone, work for the president. I'm like, I had a cush Marine job, but uh, we're also Marines and we're like 9-11 happened. And then I got out in 2003 and I felt I had this itch. I'm like, I didn't get to do what Marines are supposed to do. And then a lot of veterans and or active duty at the time or, or people thinking about going to the military wanted, um, you know, to go catch these bad guys and these terrorists. And um, I figured I could do more as a contractor and that's what I did. So I signed up. Uh, with different government agencies and did communications. So I uh, started going to Afghanistan and Iraq in mid 2000s. And I did that all the way up to 2014. And I did 40, over 40 TDYs as a contractor and uh, extensively the Middle East. And um, my main job was I was a satellite engineer setting up satellite communications and radios 
Uh, I did a lot of training with Afghanis and Iraqis, the locals, um, basic stuff, computers, uh, phones, things like that. And of course, you know, even if I'm just a contractor, I was over in the middle of it all for all this stuff and um, pretended like it didn't take its toll on me. But, you know, I had a lot of events that would happen. I had some explosions, some injuries, um, seen a lot of things. And in 2009, I was kind of in a dark place, uh, suicidal. I didn't know what I was doing anymore. I was seeing the the negative sides of war and I was working with these these local Afghanis and Iraqis, I was going to their weddings. I was face to face promising them, you know, we would get them to the U S because they're helping us and all those things, uh, which we, you know, saw that what happens when uh, we had the pullout so fast that that stuff really hit hard. But even back in 2009, I was realizing we were kind of putting this veil up with these, these, uh, these people and I wasn't okay with it morally and I was questioning myself and what I was doing. And um, at the time, I, I ran and worked out to deal with my stress, right? It was my coping mechanism, but it wasn't working. I couldn't run. I had some injuries at the time. And my roommate drugged me to a yoga class. And at the end of the class, I was laying in a puddle of sweat. But the first time in over 10 years, I felt my parasympathetic nervous system, like that rest and relax. And as veteran or military, we don't realize we're trained from day one to operate in that hypervigilant, hyperarousal state. And it doesn't turn off because we we're meant to operate under stress and we're meant to thrive under stress and go towards um, that metaphorical gunshots. Right. Like we're we're trained to be in this. And even when you're not doing that, you're still it's still your level of stress is higher than most people, your, your baseline. And so when I went under that baseline for the first time in over a decade, I felt it. And I'm like, whatever this is, this is medicine. I need more of it. And personally, I dove into yoga um, five, six days a week. And later that year, I did my teacher training certificate. I was going back and forth to the Middle East for two, three months at a time. I was teaching uh, on the bases wherever I was in the middle of nowhere. I'd set up on the rooftops. Um, I just teach these yoga classes and I realized that people needed it and they needed it from someone like me. That's one of them because they yeah, wouldn't have went yeah. just like me back then. When I did started in yoga, man, my Marine buddies <laughs> gave me a lot of shit, you know, and, but they all knew we're all brothers and uh, I was hurting. So, and, you know, full circle and back now I have a lot of them that are coming through and doing these teacher trainings with the yoga. Um, but back then it wasn't, it was looked up looked at as uh, feminine or negative and nothing. Yeah. You, you know, what's funny is um, we've had, uh, and, and you're probably familiar, familiar with it, with what you do, but we had diamond Dallas page in the podcast, DDP. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, do you know his whole story with yoga and all that? Yeah. And, you know, cause his he was, yoga. He, yeah, he spoke about it. I mean, he's a guy who got into wrestling later on in life. Like most of what we saw when he was in WCW, he was like in his forties, he was not one of the younger guys. And regardless of if wrestling is choreographed, I mean, it does a ton of damage to your joints yeah. and all that. And it's there is that athleticism aspect of it. And he he acquired all these injuries that really were uh, weighing on him. And same thing as you, like this was the one thing he found where he's like, this is actually helping me. Um, and when I met him, he developed yeah what he called uh, originally called it yoga for regular guys. 
then mm -hmm. uh, DDP Yoga, and yep. which he's now calling DDPY. But yeah, he he said the same thing. Like this wasn't looked at as the most masculine thing, but he didn't care. He was like, "This works for me," and that seems like the same thing that you, that you felt. Yeah, and you know, and I followed his journey too, and actually, I, I was you know sympathizing with him when I would hear his story because there was only a handful of us veterans at the time in the mid two thousands that were or that were doing yoga like that. And we were all in communication in the background. And it's funny, all of all of those veterans, we all own our own nonprofits now and we all do our own thing. But we oh, are wow. kind of pioneers in this health and wellness with yoga and meditation and mindfulness um, going out on a limb in this undiscovered territory that veterans didn't usually go to or military. And given that, I knew, you know, I was teaching free classes every couple of weeks or weekends whenever I get a chance with whatever yoga studio I was teaching at, they would let me teach a free class for military veterans and their families. And that became my mission was to, Hey, let me teach this because I know somebody is out there ready to pull the trigger just like I was. And they need a, a beacon of light in their community. And I was in DC. I, I taught at several yoga studios and I knew, uh, and it, you know, I had good 20, 40 people in some of my classes out of the blue um, that would come in and, you know, they would tell me their stories and it was very similar to mine. And there's no question out of those hundreds of people in those first few years I taught, if I wouldn't have opened the door, there's no question that a couple of them would have committed suicide. And I had these people tell me that. And I knew I was given um, this gift of teaching yoga and I had to share it. So I promised myself after my last war zone trip, I would create something to give back. And I didn't know what that was. That was December 2014 was my last trip. So I took a year off and I gave myself, I'm a planner. So I planned, put a 12 month schedule. Uh, I did a talk therapy once a month with a therapist. Uh, I did uh, my vision boards. I talked to my friends, my family, I journaled and I kind of whittled down within a few months of what Vetoga would be. And in 2015, I incorporated and got my 501c3 nonprofit status. Uh, within a couple of weeks of applying and I was like, and I put a website up and I was like, shit, we're off to the races, whether I like it or not. And I created that. And that's where Vetoga started. Um, and after that, I was like, okay, in a year or two, I'm going to make some money and or raise money and do a teacher training because at the time I would teach, I was also a high level teacher where I could help people write teacher trainings. I could, create a teacher training to make people yoga instructors for other studios. And uh, I was like, why don't I just create my own yoga school? I have the skills. I have the, um, these amazing instructors that are friends of mine that will come teach. And so I said, screw it. And uh, I got a grant from Lululemon at the time. I was a, a yoga ambassador for Lululemon and they gave me a, a substantial grant that was enough money to pay for me to, to do a teacher training for 20 veterans. And we did our first That's training. Awesome. Yeah. That, so, that, so so would you say that they're like a solid company like that? Because there are a lot of companies, right, that'll kind of grab the veteran cause as just uh, posturing. And, and then there's other companies that really do want to help veterans. And I mean, that sounds like it to me if they were putting their money towards that. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll speak real quick to, to Lululemon as amazing organization. They've had different changes in leadership. They've had their own drama and things, but at their root <clears throat> and when I first connected with them at a local level, they had these smaller grants for ambassadors to apply for if you were doing something in the community in a nonprofit realm. 
and the company gave them a small budget. It was like $100,000, and they got to choose several nonprofits to, to give that money to. And we were one of those nonprofits. It was about $25,000, which that was enough to, to do a teacher training. And there's three of us, uh, two other people that had nonprofits. That, so three of us got these grants. And after we awarded the grant and we used it, they asked us to fly out to their headquarters in Vancouver. And we flew out there and they put us up like five star. They, they rented out uh, Whistler Resort, the entire resort for us. Oh, cool. And there was a hundred people uh, they invited for, um, you know, just to highlight these ambassadors. But the three of us that were the nonprofit ambassadors that received these grants, they asked us to speak to their headquarters. So we spoke to everybody at the, the mothership and went up on stage. And the CEO at the time said, hey, tell your story. So they showed my video. They said, we do, this is what we did with the money. These are the people that are affected, blah, blah, blah. And he came over and he said, um, we are going to put 60, I believe it was $60 million over the next 10 years into this program. That was a $100,000 program before. And it was called the Here to Be program, which started because we showed the impact that those that money had for their company in visibility. And that program they have now is called Here to Be. And they, they give millions of dollars to all these people around the world that are doing good. And the some years they focus more on veterans, some years they focus more like on diversity and things like that. So you can see, you know, corporations or corporations where they want to focus on a group or highlight them, but they're not exploiting them. Like I've seen, yeah. you know, not negative to Wounded Warriors or anything, but if they get a veteran that's an amputee and they do this, then they will make them a poster boy and put them sure. up there and ask you to give money. That's not what they're doing. Like they actually care and give. And um, so just wanted to, to say that real quick about them. No, it's, it's important to say, because I think a lot of people, especially in this day and age, like, yeah, if, if we're spending money on a certain company, we want to know that. I think it's a good thing to see if they're doing the right thing. Just like a lot of the sponsors we have on board, really, like a lot of our sponsors, whether it's, um, you know, Ned or uh, Bob's Naturals, they, they do things for veterans. So, mm -hmm. well, since I am talking sponsors here, uh, no better time to talk about some of the great sponsors that keep us going and also do some great work with vets in, in terms of photonist defense, for example. They have guys working there who are vets like Phil Otto who really test out the products and make sure that that they're putting out just quality stuff, which they are. I mean, if if your New Year's resolution is to really up your game with your firearms, to really get better with what you're doing with your weapon, uh, you're going to need some night vision. And photonist defense is the global leader in that field. Their night vision solutions provide more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and outdoor enthusiasts rely on Photonist Defense Systems to make their adventures safer and more successful. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense Solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Photonist Defense is now offering state-of-the-art night vision systems. From the PD-Pro-B 16mm binocular and the PD-Pro-M 16mm monocular to the PD-Pro-Q panoramic night vision system, customers from all over are excited about these new, smaller, 
and lighter, much lighter NVGs. You've got to see these things to really experience how much smaller and lighter they are than anything you have used previously. Visit PhotonistDefense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. I'm excited for SHOT Show. We are about a little over a month away from SHOT Show, and I think the the staff there is really going to blow some people away in the firearms industry when they get to demonstrate just what they have there on the floor and, and show people just when they look at it and see how light it is, man, just great stuff from those guys. So visit them, photonistdefense.com, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S-D-E-F-E-N-S-E.com. If you've been looking for night vision, if this is a Christmas gift for the firearms enthusiast in your life, you cannot go wrong. Not just Chris Peranto, but many guys in the special operations community are using Photonist Defense. And of course, there's only one brand of ammunition we use, Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammo that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. Go to their uh, go to their Instagram and you're going to see some of the hunters and and some of what they've used it on. I mean, this stuff is powerful, okay? This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as every now and again, you will see some stuff on their web store, but you guys know it already. Uh, ammo is just low everywhere, low stock, so they can't keep it on the shelves uh, for their online store. But if you go there, if you sign up for their email list, every now and again, they'll have some deals on bulk ammo. And when you use our promo code, you'll be able to get like an awesome deal on it. I'm, I'm talking like saving over $100, somewhere between $100 and $200 sometimes on that bulk ammo. So go to fortscottmunitions.com, use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Also on their merch, their merch is great. Uh, you'll want to check out the designs on there. And that's only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. As I said, uh, go to their Instagram as well. Uh, simple enough, Fort Scott Munitions on Instagram, and they really uh, post some awesome stuff, especially if you're a hunter. You'll like what they put up there. So uh, as always, FortScottMunitions.com. Link is right there in the description. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast, F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S.com. Go there now, and now... Back to the show. Yeah, you're right. It is important to, to highlight them when we have a voice um, in an audience that might not know, especially like most people think Lululemon, oh, it's women's stretchy pants. But I have a whole <laughs> closet. I have a closet full of I have 20, all the shorts I wear are Lululemon. I have their their pants that are they're like uh, dress pants. They're called ABC pants. And it, it literally stands for anti-ball crushing because <laughs> they, they design these stretchy pants for men and 
instead of wearing khakis or slacks, I wear these pants. And um, my polos I wear are Lululemon for that I wear to work. And so they do have a huge men's line that is functional. And um, a lot of people might not know that, but hearing us talk about it as men, as veterans, they're like, oh, well, shit, maybe I'll go try it. So, yeah, it's important. Yeah. Hey, so I want to um, I'd like to like go back to some of the stuff because we we went through a lot there. I mean, over the timeline <laughs> of Marine Corps to contracting to to what you do now, um, but especially with this audience, I think they love to hear some of those stories. So, what was basic training like? And you know what, I I didn't get to really uh, get your take on. You know, when you say that you wanted to join at that time period, you were determined. Were you one of these kids who grew up and said, I want to be a Marine? Or was it a year or two before that? I no way, shape or form did I ever think I was going to the military growing up. Um, my grandfather died young in his mid 40s from a heart attack. He was a drinker and a smoker, but he was in the military in the side effects of that. Um, but everywhere else, my family it wasn't much service. My my stepfather's dad was a Marine. And I saw, you know, I was still young. I was around 10, I think, when my mom and stepfather got together. And I was, he was, his dad was a part of my life as a grandfather. And I, you know, he never talked about his, the Marine Corps, but I would see the pictures. I would hear people talk about him. Like, and I would just notice his demeanor was different, right? Like his, and I said, there's something about him that he, the way he carries himself and it's prideful. So I took a mental note of that, even at a young age. And, uh, when I became went to high school, you know, you're you're trying to figure out who you are, what you're going to do. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a soccer scholarship and I'm going to go to pole vault and go to the Olympics. And, you know, these are all potential options. And then when you get closer, you're like, all right, I'm not the top one percent. Like this is not going to be my life or career. And it's it's weird because you're a child. Like, you know, we say that now, but back then you think you're a full size adult, like your brain, think your brain's fully developed and all that. And I remember looking in the military and a lot of us were looking at it. Um, dozen, few dozen, I'd say two or three dozen people went into the military out of my class and 80% of them were going into the army. They were enlisting and I would see that. And then my friend Chauncey Weaver and myself, um, we were, we were just a different breed and there were only yeah. two of us out of like 20, 30 people that signed up for the Marine Corps. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do the hardest one. Like, I want to be the most badass I can be. Like, and there was just this pride that I could see in the Marines. And I could, in my root, my root psychology, I never like to do what anybody else does. Like, if you have a blue car, everybody has blue, blue cars. I like, I'll get a, a black car. Um, people do certain things. I do the other thing. And I don't know where that comes from, but I think that pride played a part in it too but i also remember that pride pridefulness of that so that's what what my decision making process was and um, going forward with that so then and, as i'm saying yeah what was like boot camp like <laughs> what was the whole process especially people might wonder because we talked to veterans from different eras so some yeah. some guys experiences and we've had a lot of marines on you know during uh the war in afghanistan war in iraq may be different than going in during what was considered peacetime yeah, and the Marine Corps operates a little differently than the other services for sure. Like after I got out of the boot camp and stuff and communicated with my other veterans that were in the army, my friends, like they acted like they went to a summer camp and it was all fun and they learned and did all this stuff. I felt like I just got out of a nightmare. 
I literally wow. drove off Paris Island on the, that day and I was with my family and I was trying not to cry. And I'm like, I, I literally thought the last 13 weeks was in, like a, a physical something I made up in my head. Like it, it, it was just weird. And I'm like, I didn't know what it was. I was like, was that real? So, and that knowing now working with trauma, like you're under a high stress trauma and you're traumatized in, to a layer, but it's to, um, they do. Did, did you feel down. a sense of, of accomplishment as well? Or was it all just oh, it's mixed emotions? Like I was yeah. like the parade when you grab, when you, this is another thing with the Marine Corps, very traditional. And when you get handed that Eagle globe and anchor that, that symbolizes you are not a Marine, but you are a recruit. So, you know, they're, they're, well, the 13 weeks are there, 12 of it, you are treated like dirt, right? Like you're nothing. You have to earn the title. You're not like in the army you go and you know, you're going to graduate. Like you're getting your stuff in the Marine Corps, they're recruit. And you refer to yourself like this recruit requests permission to go to the, the head, sir. Like you had to say this recruit, this recruit. And the day, um, so they had this thing called the crucible, which was newer back then, which was 72 hours, I believe. And like, 50 miles, um, no food. You're just sleep deprived. Every, every few miles you have to stop and, and do these exercises as groups and, uh, use your brain. And it's a very, uh, strenuous process. And it's the Marine Corps uses it now as one of their main components of making a Marine. And it, it was rough. Like there were several suicides in my platoon, um, over the 13 weeks. And that was normal. Like, it, the one guy, you know, we heard a, a muffled gunshot on the rifle range and they're put your face in the dirt for like an hour. And they had to come. This guy put a, a gun in his mouth on the rifle range and they drug him off. We were all li- literally face down in the dirt. And then business is normal after lunch, like back to shooting range. And, you know, um, I was still part of the old school Marine Corps. You know, we had our camouflage wasn't digital. It was still I still. I was going too slow because people were in front of me were going slow when we had told to go outside and I got picked up and thrown off a second story building into a sand pit by a drill instructor, wow. like literally. And I, you know, I was hit and punched here and there. Like that was the old Marine Corps. And shortly after I talked to some of the guys, cause I did some recruiting duty like a couple months after boot camp because I was waiting for my school to start. And I remember communicating with these guys. They got this stress card because the suicides were going up. So this card, if you pull it out at any time, the drone instructor has to stop and let you be first. And you go and talk to the senior drone instructor. So that's when the Marine Corps started changing. Right. And for good or bad, like it does, it makes you a little bit softer and not be able to handle things, but it also prevents suicide. Right. Like it's a real problem. Like how do you, push somebody to their breaking point and train them to be the best they can be in this trained killer. But also if somebody's weak minded or not strong enough, how do you get them not to kill themselves? Like they're still a good Marine. I'm, just, I'm also just, I'm sorry. I'm just curious though, if this is boot camp, right at that point, wh- why <laughs> do these guys take their own lives rather than just say, cause at that point, can't they say this is not for me get discharged and no, it doesn't work that way. So that is exactly why I remember there was a point where I wanted, I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore and I don't give up. Right. And I'm like the only, I, I remember laying in bed and I'm like, okay, if I, if I break both my legs, I'll get a medical discharge. Or if I do this, I'll get, I remember having these thoughts. Right. But then this guy, this, the next day, this guy comes in and he had uh, broken his arm and leg falling off something. 
and they just took him and they put him in the PCP. The um, we call it the pork chop platoon, but it was a the rehabilitation platoon. And you stay there until you heal and then come back. So he was there for six weeks. Oh, on top of you know this is probably week ten or nine or ten. So he's in Paris Island for sixteen weeks and then comes back and now he's with a whole new group of people. So he not only lost his original his original platoon, but he thought he was going to get out and he didn't. And he told me like he broke it. He felt jumped on purpose. And I was like, well, shit, that ain't going to work. And then you're like, the only way out of here is to like kill yourself because the guys that we would see like cry wolf and um, say, I'm going to kill myself or they would be vocal and be like, you need to let me out of here. I don't want to be here. They would disappear for a day or two, which they're going to the psychologist and those psychologists have seen and heard everything, right? They know if you're going to actually kill yourself or not. They know because the guys who killed themselves, they didn't, you didn't know. They weren't giving off any signs. It wasn't like that. They were just stoic, right? You didn't know if they're, what they were doing. Just everybody was like that. But the guys that would cry wolf, they'd go to the psychologist. Got psychologists would like suck it up and go back. Like you ain't going to kill yourself. You're not getting out of here. Go back and suck it up, right? And that that fucks with your head a little bit. Like you're like, there's no way out of here. It is not like the army or the navy, the air force. Well, you could, if you wanted to leave, you could leave, right? You really feel trapped, and um, that's why there was suicides, right? And that became a problem in the mil- the Marine Corps, and that's why these stress cars and things. After I got out of boot camp, it changed a little bit, but it was still pretty hardcore. Uh, and whether it was wartime or not, it doesn't matter in the Marine Corps. You're trained as if, you know, that that's our whole ethos is um, that we're trained for this. Like, that's our job. We're first in, first out. Like, you guys better be ready before anybody else. So does that make sense? Like, a little bit of a... Yeah, a- I- it's it's weird because in all my years of uh, interviewing guys, I think it's because I'm so used to interviewing special operations guys from uh, you know Army Rangers and Navy SEALs, and so many of the stories are about you could quit at any time, and this is the the complete opposite of that. And it makes me wonder, like, do you think that's a good formula? Because I think the Navy SEALs and the Army Rangers they get the best of the best because they say you could leave at any time, and most of the guys who end up leaving from the experiences of but people I've interviewed are not even during the most strenuous times. It's the mind games. You're, you know, the Marine Corps, it's still like big army, big Marine Corps. Like they have a quota in numbers. They have to keep a certain number of people active duty, keep them coming in. Right. So there's a pol- political game behind it too, where how hard do we make it and push them? But the pride of the Marine Corps and tradition um, trumps everything, right? Like we're not sp- Marines aren't special forces, but Marines are pretty badass. And if you come out of Marine Corps boot camp, if I put you in (laughs) Army Ranger school or no disrespect, any special forces, like it's going to be fine. Like Navy SEALs, like that's a different ballgame. Like what a lot of Marines, you could throw them into SEALs training and they they would do better than somebody that just went through Navy and chose that. Right. And it, I already know you're going to piss off some Navy SEALs and Army oh, Rangers. Right. I don't mind. The, 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 squids, the squids and the, the guys in the, the um, boys department of the military or the Army, whatever you guys call it, uh, they'll, they'll be fine. No, I'm just yeah, like, no, I'm not a special forces, but I'm a Marine and Marines are Marines. And, you know, every special forces are badass, right? Like, there's no question. But that option to, to quit, 
like that is a psychological thing where we don't if you don't want to be there you don't want them there the marine corps it's not like that it's you signed up you're you're going to be a marine and or um the only way out is suicide like that was the old marine corps and it's a little different now i don't know if people have the choice but um yeah and the special forces like you're you're choosing to do that and they do allow that 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 way out because and that's the way it is like if you're not all 100% in then you shouldn't be in there because in those small operating groups like you have to be a unit and you have to be cohesive and you all have to have that level of um, competency and wanting to be there. Otherwise it doesn't work and people die um, in a large scale, like in the whole Marine Corps, it does not, it, it does operate that way, but um, there's a lot more people in the pool, but that's why I feel you're, you're kind of just forced, but they also have quotas and, uh, and the smaller operators that and special forces, like that's, that's a different thing. You don't want people in that, that don't want to be there. Um, and that's why they're given the option, I believe. So it must have been a weird mind fuck for you that a few weeks after this, as you said, you're then recruiting people after you had thoughts of, of, you know, taking your own life that early on because you couldn't, you couldn't take this. So, so it was about a month or so I was home in my hometown. Right. And here I am, I come back and I look different. I talk different. I, you know, I had this pride and a little bit of arrogance, right? Like you're trained to be like, you're better than that. that that's just how the military is. Right. But I was also real with these guys and girls. I would go and talk and I put a few people in the, the army and a few people in the air force. And I only put two people in the Marine Corps. Like, and when I say put, I mean, I sat down with them as a, a recruiter um, in that duty I had and I talked to him and I'm like, I don't think the Marine Corps is for you. I, like in the back of my head, I'm like, this dude, will, he'll kill himself within a couple of weeks. He can't handle this. Like, I'm like, hey, man, go get your education going to the Air Force. Like you're smart. Like you want to go in the military. But what is your reason for wanting to go in? Like to be a Marine, you really need to want to be there. Um, it's not it, it's a different ball game then. And it's like I said, I we're all the, the military is amazing. We all do good things. But of course, um, you know, I, I have to just talk about how the mil the Marine Corps is different in a lot of ways, and that's and good and bad. It's just different, and it's not for everybody. And I felt like I felt a, a subconscious like if I put these people in, if they kill themselves, can you imagine how I'd feel? Like, sure. um, and that was all fresh. So answering your question, yeah, I I didn't force people in and say which um it's that was a real thing and my thoughts in my head i'm like this is this wasn't easy like it was it was hard um so 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 would you say it was during your time as a contractor where you really fell into this dark place where where things got to the point where you didn't want to be here and were really uh considering this yeah and i never thought i'd be there right like i remember in boot camp i remember saying it'd be it would be better easier to to not be here. Right. But I, I wasn't going to do it. I'm like, I was just, I just felt stuck. Right. And that those thoughts, I'm like, Oh, let me break my legs or something. Like it, it was just in that. I remember that time. Like, I don't forget those, those thoughts. Like, I don't, I don't think I would actually went through with it. I wasn't vocalizing it. I was just thinking at nighttime. I was just, you know, depressed and stressed and all those things. And when it happened years later, it was real. Like, and like I was coming back, I didn't like the person I was. I was mean to everybody around me and my girlfriends. I was snapping at them. Like 
I, w- I wasn't as patient. Like, and I'm a good, a good person. Like I, I was raised well. Um, I have good morals. Like I'm, I'm a nice guy and I wasn't being that. And I didn't have control over it. And I was like, and I would get input from people that were close to me saying, confirming that. And I'm like, I don't know if I can fix this. And, but I still kept going back because I felt obligated to the mission. Like there wasn't people that had the security clearance, the weapons qualifications, the, 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 the IT type brain I had, like it was a, a small group of people that could do what I did. And I felt obligated to keep doing it. And the, the, the machine will keep sending you back until you break. Like, um, they don't care about you as a person it's a contract and people were making companies that were billing me at an exponential amount of money every time I was in the middle East. Right. Like there was, that was some more profiteering going on. And, but it was also an opportunity for us like as veterans or to go in and have these jobs that most people didn't have access to. Um, so I felt this obligation and it, it, it all piled up and, um, you know, I was having a tough time and I had some injuries and I'm like, if I, I can't do this anymore. Like something's got to give. And that's where the desperation comes in and the yoga, like something in your subconscious is like, all right, let me just try this. Right. I don't care. I'm desperate. Like if I don't do this, I might kill myself. It's like my friend, Tom Voss, um, he walked across, you know, from mid, um, Midwest across to LA on his own journey and he, him and his story, um, after I'll send you a link to his book and his yeah, that's we had a guest on Jonathan Hancock, also a Marine, did a similar type of journey. Yeah, this guy Tom Voss is a, he's one of our he's one of my friends. He's a Vatoga teacher, but uh, he has a, a documentary called Almost Sunrise, and it's about his journey and him and his battle buddy that walked across. But you know, he's like he was at his wit's end. He's he's like if I don't do something, something's gonna give, and or I'm gonna you know take my own life and. His, uh, his outlet was to just get up and walk, right? Walk these thousands of miles or hundreds of miles and just go, right? And me, I, I, you know, I went to a yoga class and it happened to give me a taste of what could be. And it was like a drug. Like I, I did it every day because I was getting a hit of the endorphins that were helping my nervous system come down because my nervous system was a wreck. Like I was doing two to three months at a time in a war zone, not sleeping, working, you know, 90, hundred hour weeks, wearing Kevlar 20 hours a day. Like even just to being a contract, I was an operator or special operations. Like I was out there doing day to day things as a communications, but of course I'd get in the middle of uh, attacks and rocket attacks and firefights and things. But that's, I did that dozens and dozens of times and tried to normalize it. Like, Hey, I'm just a civilian now. Like I'm not, this isn't my job. Like, I'm here to do the this, this, and this, but I'd come home and try to pretend like nothing happened and not be in active duty. I'm like, I'm a civilian. I go get drunk. I can go hang out. I can do whatever I want and I don't answer to anybody. And, um, I could, I had to keep that inside. Like I couldn't just, there's, you know, you couldn't let it out. Um, so it, 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 it piled up and just brought me to that, that place as where I was at. Was it just the accumulation or was there any particular incident? Because from what you were saying earlier in the interview, um, it seems like it wasn't just like the physical and mental stress. It was also things that you morally were not sitting well with. There, I mean, and I really wrap my head around and I journal and talk about these things. Like, cause one traumatic event 
could set somebody off and they have PTSD, right? I never wanted to admit I had anything going on, but I definitely had symptoms of PTSD, but I was also able to compartmentalize and function without it affecting me. And I would see people die. I would be in these, these situations um, that were not so pleasant, right? That it, somebody else might be fucked up for the rest of their life. And I did that. I saw dozens of those things over 10 years. And I was also wondering why am I still able to function, right? And when I started studying the yoga, the, the science, the psychology of, of PTSD and, and um, post-traumatic growth and these things in the, the brain of what happens, I was understanding myself. And I was also internalizing and feeling like I could counteract this. Like, I don't have to let this take hold of me. And um, I, I try to look back and I'm like, there, there were some bad events that happened, but they weren't like, they didn't push me over the edge. It was me sitting with my thoughts. Like, why am I doing this? Like, why do I keep going back? Um, why am I being an asshole to my girlfriend? Like, why do I tell my mom, I don't want to come home for Christmas, like, and be with my family. I don't want them to see me like this. Like, that's not me. Like, and I didn't feel like me. And I didn't want to be there anymore. Like I didn't, you know, and I was like, I'm going to keep doing this and I can't stop. Like what, what's wrong. And um, so it wasn't to answer your question. It wasn't like this one thing. It was really a culmination of me, these things stacking up and me not feeling a way out. If that makes sense. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, what do you think it was about yoga that right away was like, this is the thing, because it sounds like you experimented with other things and they didn't help, but this was this was what just resonated with you. Yeah, and knowing not then I didn't know, but knowing what I know now, like I did this physical yoga class, right? And the room was packed. Every mat was next to each other. There's fifty people in this room. It was a a level two, like very advanced class. My roommate kind of set me up and she's like, <laughs> You're coming. And she's like, worst case. I know, is a probably re- figured you're a Marine. You could take yeah. it. You know. She she was, she was also wanted to prove because I was talking trash. Like, oh, this, whatever. And she's like, all right, all right, dude, let's go. And she's <laughs> like, worst, worst case, you're in a room full of sweaty women. You'll be fine. I'm like, all right. Yeah, exactly. And I was sweating from the moment. It heated up and this guy was teaching. This guy was, was a little it bit hot? Of, was it like the, the hot yoga? No, it wasn't the hot yoga. But it was when you have that many people in one room, there's it's yeah. going to get hot and sweaty. And it was a two hour long class and I didn't want to quit. Like, you know me, I'm like, I can, I couldn't, I didn't have the flexibility, but I just did what I could. And I didn't, I, I pushed my limits and I had a puddle of sweat. And the last pose you do in a yoga class is called corpse pose, Shavasana. And you lie down and it's a guided relaxation. Like close your eyes, focus sure. on your breath, relax this part, these parts of your body. And when that I've was done going, some yoga, so yeah, I'm yeah, familiar with when that. that yeah. When that was going on, I was feeling something I hadn't felt in years, and that was the parasympathetic nervous system, right? Your sympathetic is your fight or flight. So I was physically in my fight or flight mode, and the average every person in that room was not in fight or flight. They were there's their normal baselines here. I was operating here, even on my non war zone time. It didn't matter. I lived in this this space. And all of a sudden I dropped below that stress and I was, and there's different hormones that are released and I was tasting it. And in the science of yoga, they call it like this Amrita, the sweetness 
It's like the bliss, right? You get a taste of this bliss it, and that euphoria. What are the, you know, you hear people describe their experiences. Like I had the spiritual awakening or I had this euphoria. Like it was a micro dose of, of a, a euphoria of a spiritual awakening, right? Like I just tasted like a hit and I was like, if this is what it feels like to, when I, every time I do yoga, then I need to try it again because that felt good. And I haven't felt this in years and I would, you know, and I was in a bad place and I'm like, this is, this is, I got to try this. So that's about yoga. It is that, that parasympathetic nervous system. So meditation, breathing, exercise, nature, animals, like they all um, engage that parasympathetic nervous system. And they, they cause you to, to go into rest or relax and to calm your vibration, right? And that is what the part of yoga that got me. It wasn't the physical part of it. It wasn't the girls. It wasn't like all those things. Like I was desperate. And I'm, and I also felt, this is a, a quick segue, but I came out of this class and everybody was like hanging out and talking. And I was very, I was very introverted and suicidal, you know, inside, right? And I had lost my core military friend like i wasn't active duty anymore i didn't have that brotherhood or sisterhood anymore i was kind of lost in that way too as a civilian and i had this group of people that were like just all lovey-dovey and no expectations and were just so nice and i'm like this is like a nice little community like i get down with this shit like i don't care what yoga is like these people it feels good to be around people that are nice and positive and there was that community aspect that kind of double hooked me that same night. And, um, and that was it. I would go to class and I would hang out with people after I was making a new group of friends that I, there's no way I would have talked to anybody that was a yoga person. I was like, Oh, that's foo foo girly stuff. Right. <laughs> and there's like all these people that I never would have talked to in my life. And all of a sudden, instead of going out drinking and hang, going to happy hour and hanging out with my veteran friends and just numbing the pain with alcohol or doing that, I was like, I'm going to go yoga tonight and have some green juice and do this. And I was like, what is like, where is this coming from? But it feels good. Right. So, and yet I can tell you have that yin and yang still today because (laughs) you are right now you're drinking a beer. You're like a tatted up guy, but you also have this other side to you from, from this yoga experience. You know, and that I think it's one of my strong suits. Um, I am a manly man, like I am a straight male veteran, right? Like, and not, and no negative connotations around anything other than that. Don't read into it, sure, but sure. you know, I also have, you know, for ten years of my life, I'm actually, you know, I weigh 115 pounds right now. I mean, 215 pounds. I was like, you do not weigh 115 pounds. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm a lot beefier, and I have a gut, and I feel like myself right now. But ten years ago, when I was doing yoga. I weighed 160, 170 pounds and I was 100% in my feminine energy because I needed to heal. Like I looked for that, that, that female energy, which we call it. And it doesn't mean actual physical female woman. Like it's, we have this, we all have a masculine and feminine side, right? Like sure. yoga, yoga and these, these practices are, have a feminine energy to them, right? There is a, there's masculine type strong energy in some of that too, but the, the practices I that were healing me, the deep relaxation, the breathing, the meditations, that was diving into my feminine energy and understanding what that means. Like to even be okay to say that I'm 
tapping into my feminine energy. Like I would have never said something like that before yoga or in the military. And then circle back, like the last couple of years, uh, about two years ago, I was like, All right, I'm too far down this rabbit hole. Like I weigh 180 pounds. I'm skinny. Um, I'm not happy. I don't feel like a man anymore. Like I was driving a Honda Fit because it was cheap on gas. And I was like, I'm going to go buy a truck. I'm going to start drinking again. Like I'm going to gain some weight. I'm going to, you know, and I, and it was only because I felt whole and I joined some men's groups. Um, and I was learning about what toxic masculinity was versus healthy masculinity. And I'm like, well, let me set my, let me get my masculinity back in a healthy way and not be And this was right after the me too movement where men were getting, you know, just out to just left out to dry and saying every man is toxic and masculinity is toxic. And I was really internalizing those terms, masculine and feminine, right? And I'm like, well, let me look at these. And I did these men's groups and I did work and therapy around this. Like I, I wasn't just trying to be a man, quote man. I was, what is, how, what's it like to be a healthy man and put myself back together? You know, I, I had that feminine side. I did the yoga. I healed for 10 years. Let me work on some other stuff. And, and that's where I came out the other end and where I am now. Like, you know, sometimes I feel fat and and out of shape and this and that, but I'm like, you know, I actually feel good. I feel like myself, like this is who I am. I'm not faking it. When I was doing yoga, I felt, I knew I was going into that feminine side to heal, but I knew it wasn't me. Like, and to go back to that fully balanced, Justin, that yin and yang, I needed both. Right. So, but I needed to know what that felt like. And I needed to go to that extreme on the other side to come out the other end and have a fully balanced, um, you know, like me, who I am. As yeah. Whole. I, I could actually relate to what you're saying. Um, because I think it happens to a lot of people where they kind of have to be a little bit more extreme in their approach at times, and then get back to who they are. So one, one thing I could even tell you that's interesting with me is, um, when I went into like a heavy depression about four years ago, not at all related to stuff like what you have. I mean, I'm not a veteran. Um, but I, I was losing um, sense of who I was, I think, as a person and, and my own identity. And I, I felt like I lost touch with God, with a higher purpose, with a creator. And the weird thing is, right, like half my family's Catholic, half my family's Jewish. I was raised Jewish. I was bar mitzvah, all that stuff. Um, but probably one of my more spiritual or religious friends um, what, you know, went to church every Sunday. And I said, you know what, I'd like to come with you sometime. Mm -hmm. And I did. And it was a great experience. I, I did not become a born again Christian or anything <laughs> like that. Like I'm still the same person. I don't really identify with any religion. But for a period there, I was actually going to this evangelical church every week. And it was becoming like a bigger part of my life. And now that I'm back to myself every now and again, it's there if I, if I want to go. Mm -hmm. It's not something that needs to be like a regimented part of my life. I don't feel like I need to identify with this religion or this set of circumstances. But I think in times of trauma, you do kind of connect with something that heals you and you go all in. And then once you kind of feel back to yourself, or even when I went to therapy, mm -hmm. I, I went to therapy for a period of time uh, and was doing it every week. And then every two weeks, then the therapist actually said to me, Hey, between like your working out and your journaling and these other outlets that you have, I think you're fine. I'm, I'm here if you need to reach me, but I don't think you need to be here every other week. I'm unless you feel like you'd like to. And, and I really appreciated him saying that. So I think sometimes, yeah, you do need to go all in to heal yourself mm -hmm. and then you could get back to you, back, back to the balance to you. Yeah. And, and I, I use my tattoos as an example. Like, so 
90% of my tattoos are like Hinduism, right? And I was this full in on this yoga and I was identifying with some of these warrior characters like this is Shiva and then this guy is called Hanuman, this monkey god, right? And I was getting all these Hindu tattoos. Uh, this is Ganesh and this is Kali over here. These are all Hindu tattoos, right? And I was teaching theology, yoga, philosophy on religion. And I grew up Catholic and I never felt God once when I went to church. I remember sitting in church and I'm like, why the fuck are we here? Like, I don't feel anything. And, you know, in the military, I, I carried my Bible around. I would get these motivational quotes from the Bible that would, you know, help psychologically. But I wasn't feeling it inside. And I did my first yoga retreat when I was 28 years old and I went to Bali. And my friend Alana Kavalia and Dave Stringer, they were doing this yoga retreat and they were it I didn't know what the yoga what type of yoga it was. It was and what was going on. I just knew it was in Bali and I needed a break. And I, that was at the time where I was suicidal too. I'm like, I just I did my first twenty-eight years old, I took my first vacation in my life. I had my first massage. Um, but I go into this class and they start playing this harmonium, this instrument, and chanting in Sanskrit. And I'm sitting there with my eyes closed and I start crying and I could feel like ripping my heart open. And I'm like, I felt God or that connection right then and there. That was another piece of the yoga. I was like, what just happened? Because I would have never tried chanting or doing this. Right. And I dove in and I'm very intellectual with my engineering brain. So I, you know, I read all the scriptures. I saw where this type of vibration in Sanskrit, the language comes from. And it's a vibration that is meant to just tune you to the universe or what you're, 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 you consider God or, you know, that's the whole point of yoga is you calm your mind and your body and you connect within and your true self, your soul, whatever that is. And I tasted it there and I was like, I connect with this. So I started studying Hinduism and the deities, these pictures, these these people, I was, it's more about their characteristics and their story that I was connecting with these warriors that were um, in war in some of these stories, but contemplating why am I here on earth? Why, why am I fighting my brothers and sisters on earth? Like I was connecting with those stories and I tattooed them on my body. And that was in that, that phase of my, uh, you know, the healing feminine side. But when I came out, I was like, I was contemplating my, filling in the rest of my right forearm. And I'm like, I, I miss like, I want some Darth Maul. I want some Star Wars in there. So <laughs> nice. And my you know what's crazy? My friend, my friend Jay Panesso from the group Siler, who we've had on the podcast, yeah. he has a Darth Maul tattoo and he got to show it to the guy who played Darth Maul. That's awesome. And I, you know, I dated, the, I was dating this, this girl at the time for a couple of years. She was a CrossFitter, not a yogi, really fitness heavy. And, and she, you know, so she was in her masculine side. She you was. Kind of and, <laughs> and she would, she, you know, she's like, I need you to step up and be a man. And I was still like depressed. I was still in that feminine. Right. And that, you know, that messed me a little bit too, where I'm like, all right, I know I'm a man. I'm comfortable who I am. And um, the relationship was toxic. So I, I ended the relationship. And um, shortly after, like I was, I was, going doing my men's work and I felt whole again. I was like, I feel like myself, but like, you know, I want, I want something on my arm too. And I got this Darth Maul and I went and saw her about a year later and she's like, um, what's, what's that? <laughs> like, and I was like, it's Darth Maul. She's like, uh, you only have like Hindu tattoos. What's going on? I'm like, 
you know, I'm at a different phase of my life. Like I was just, I was coming out of that tail end of that, that feminine healing journey and I needed it. Otherwise I would have committed suicide. Like I said, like, and now I felt whole and healed for the first time. And I'm like, you know, I love Star Wars and I want that tattoo and I got it. And now I have, you know, this is all Star Wars theme sleeve. And then I'm going to fill the rest over here with some something else. So it's a physical manifestation of what my journey was like over the last like, decade or so. Right. Yeah. Can- and, and you can't limit yourself to like one ideology or, or one mm-hmm. aspect of your life. It's it's this huge thing. You know, it's not just being a veteran. It, it could be being into movies or being into spirituality. I'm, listening to you. Um, I'm looking for no, a book while I'm listening to you. Hold oh, on. it's all good. I was actually going to ask you with it because um, we're we're about like oh, there the Dharma of Star Wars. I've never seen that. OK, um, this is, a, this is we, a yoga book for Star Wars. By the way. Anyway. That's so cool. Um with us going actually about an hour, do you have more time? I, I know we originally said an hour, so. Yeah, I have, a, I have a few more minutes, maybe like 10 minutes. Okay, cool. So, you know what I was going to ask you then? Well, there's two, all right, there's definitely two things I, I have to get uh, the answer from with you. <laughs> uh, so, when I met you, you had your service dog, and I believe you said you used your service dog to train people in yoga, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. What What is, what's the connection there because it's funny when my when my mom met you and we were talking to my uncle he's like they use a dog to teach yoga and i'm like yeah i I have no idea i'll (laughs) I'll ask him when i have him on the podcast so i had so this is bria that that you met yes and her mother's name was ginger so ginger died last year but ginger was my therapy dog so i got ginger in 2009 when i was in a dark place she was my puppy and even when I didn't want to go out in society or be around people, I had her, right? And she, in a lot of ways, saved my life, too. Like, dogs are naturally, they, they love you unconditionally. They're always there. Like, there's that part. But uh, her mom was, was intuitive. Like, I would have some nightmares or terrors and cold sweats, right? Having flashbacks in the middle of the night. And I would wake up to Ginger, like, licking my face. Or she'd be putting her head on my chest. And she did that all naturally. And that was, I was like, and I studied some of that. And I was like, well, she's doing what dogs do naturally, but there's a type of dog, a therapy dog that does this. So I started rewarding her mom with when she would do those things. And, it, you know, that was starting to her training. And uh, when I had Bria's litter, I there was eight puppies and I held her and I could tell her energy was different. Like she's as sweet as they come. Like her mom was a sweetheart, but Bria's like double sweet and um and she naturally as working with ginger she would pick up on the things I was teaching and she was more intuitive to um if somebody was under stress so what they do when you're under stress in fight or flight you produce cortisol if you're having a, a flashback or a night terror like you have high levels of cortisol like dogs smell that and they go there right and you reward them when they have that that reaction and uh, go help. And uh, when I do teacher trainings with the veterans, she, um, you know, she sits up there calmly next to me when I teach, like I have pictures of her and we do yoga and meditation, like the corpse pose, Shavasana. When you go into Shavasana, your conscious brain starts to turn off. You go down in this theta and delta brainwave where you are in the subconscious, your active mind, your active uh, cognitive conscious brain is turned off. And sometimes when you're down there, that's where a lot of these traumas are stored. 
So you are giving them a chance to resolve and actually come out and leave and resolve that trauma in that process. That's why this this type of yoga is so potent when I mean, you do this deep relaxation. But in that process, it comes out with the story, like how it was created there, because it's stored there and repressed for a reason, to, so you can survive and not deal with that horrifying moment. But when it comes out in that space, it's unraveling like a, a ball of yarn. And the dog will smell that. Like Bria will smell that. And you'll see when people in Shavasana and the teacher training, she just quietly goes over and she'll just put her head on their chest. Okay. Or she'll nudge them or lick their palm, right? That's the magic of what she does as a therapy dog. So it is to help people in their process to have a safe environment and to allow these traumas to come out and to leave for good because if you're not in a quiet safe environment you're gonna wake up in a cold sweat and you're gonna repress it again right but if you have an aid of a dog there to help coax you and calm you down until your nervous system calms down and then you go back into relaxation instead of shutting it off and it if you prolong that that data or delta theta brainwave state um you can resolve these traumas. They actually will heal and leave you, right? And you no longer are attached to the physical reaction of a nightmare or a night sweater terror. And you have resolved that trauma and you have healed that trauma. And the dog has helped with that. So does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I love dogs and I think dogs are so healing just in general, in, in general, petting a dog, seeing a dog, speak, you know, speaking with a dog, even though they can't speak, but they can communicate with you. I, I totally understand as, as a dog lover. Uh, the last question I have for you then is yoga has helped you so much. And I think there's all different types of unconventional ways that veterans are healing rather than going the route of, and this isn't all the VA does, I don't want to put it in a bad light, but the route of many guys going to the VA, getting hooked mm -hmm. on pills, and in some cases killing themselves with these pills. Um, I'm, I, I Like our sponsor, Ned, for example, right? CBD is really helping guys. Mm -hmm. and, and then there's more controversial ways that, that veterans are tapping into this, but saying it works for me. And we've had guys in the podcast who are into psilocybin mushrooms and mm -hmm. that type of thing. Uh, what what is your take on it? Because my, my take, I could just say as a non-veteran, if it helps, I'm happy with it. If it doesn't bring them down the road of addiction, even if these are drugs that I've never experimented with, uh, I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, and I'll talk to two points. Um, you you should get you. I'll introduce you to my buddy Tom Boss, um, the one I talked about earlier. He does uh, plant-based medicine work with veterans and things too, uh, and he'll talk to you. But in my experience, right, like in the beginning. Before weed was legal in those things, uh, you had to get a medical card. And a couple of friends of mine were veterans that were opioid addicted, right? And uh, later, you know, some of those guys committed suicide. You know, they were just numbing the pain with alcohol and drugs, right, and pain pills. And the VA and our medical, the veterans medical will just keep enabling that. Though we went in, my buddy, I had to take him in to get us to drive him because his leg, he had shrapnel and stuff. He couldn't drive. And we went in to get his prescription for oxycodone and there was a hundred pills in the bottle. I remember when I had surgery, they gave me 10 pills and they were like very stingy about that. Like they just gave him a hundred pills and he just got a hundred pills the month before and lost them. And he just went back. They didn't ask about him losing pills. They didn't ask when's the last time you got pills. They gave him a 
the the amount of the fill the bottle you can fill it with 100 pills they fill 100 pills and just gave it to them and that right there i was like something's wrong right like somebody needs to be monitoring this and he was addicted he was and he you know we went into methadone and then heroin because of that pathway and that's where a lot of these these narcotics go the opioids and then i saw my other friend he was highly addicted and he was like you know what I smoke my joint in the morning and I take my gummies in the afternoon and I don't feel like I have to take my pain pills anymore. And I met another guy in the same thing. Like they had their formula that worked for them and I wasn't allowed to do these things. And I was in pain at the time. I had some injuries. And I'm like, I was actually upset that I couldn't do this because I have my, my security clearance and things like that. Right. So, but I would, you know, I became an advocate for my friends and anybody I met. I'm like, Hey, maybe you should try some some uh, CBD or some gummies or this. And I, I was taking CBD for my inflammation and it was helping tremendously, but I knew like some of the other pain, it's that next level, the THC, and then some of that other stuff I couldn't tap into. And then talking to my friends doing psilocybin or ayahuasca and doing these other uh, types of plant-based um, psychedelics. And they're, uh, them kind of being where I was when I was suicidal and them doing these spiritual um, uh, plant-based medicine and coming out the other end and they detached from their physical body. They mentally all, they tell the story like I saw what was messed up and now I see it and I know I got to fix it. And this helped me get there. And these microdosing, the psilocybin helps keep me calm and I smoke a joint or I take this gummy and I eat this chocolate. And each one of them has their own prescription for themselves. And it and it's not this addiction like the opioids, right? It's like, you know, this this works. And eventually, you know, I won't be doing a lot of this. And if I have to smoke a joint every day, then so be it. So, yeah, I like to I'm glad you brought it up just to lift the veil on that, because it, it used to be uh, negative before. And now it's it should be openly used and tried by everybody that has a chance, especially if you're out there suffering in physical pain or emotional pain or suicidal, like use all the tools, talk to your network. Like that's what the power of these things are with it. What, what you're doing and letting people talk and share their voice. Like somebody out there listening today, they're going to connect with where I, where I was and I'm me describing that dark place and then hearing, well, maybe I'll try yoga or maybe I'll just go smoke a joint. Like, because it's not as bad as people say it is, according to listening to my friends keep telling me, like, try this, try that. So, I and, really and we also know it. you're not you're not going to die from it. You're you're not yes. going to kill yourself from marijuana. Exactly. So, good job bringing that up. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's it's just true. Uh, I mean, it's it's what we're seeing, and it is the prescription drugs that are killing people sometimes more than the street drugs. Obviously, there's the street drugs like heroin, and that's not what we're talking about. But yeah. the, the drugs that, yeah, that you can go on retreats for with people you've had, had on the show, like Truth Seeker or, you know, Leo Jenkins, who's an Army Rangers, talked about this type of thing on his episode. Um, it, it's all important. I think whatever people could find, someone might do a yoga class with you guys and they might say, this isn't for me. So I'm, I'm glad to find whatever it is for that person that gets them mm -hmm. out of that dark space. Um, yeah, the, the last thing, I, I know I said the last thing before, but if people <laughs> want to take a class with you, uh, how, how could they go about it? If people want to get involved? Where should they go? Yeah. So right now I'm not teaching uh, like weekly classes like I used to as a yoga instructor. But what we do is we we create workshops and teacher trainings for veterans and military and other 
civilians that live in the community around veterans. So um, we post those on the website in vetoga.org, um, V-E-T-O-G-A, and uh, everything we're doing. Um, we do the trainings twice a year, one in the fall, one in the spring over Memorial Day and then over Veterans Day. And um, we're also doing a, a yoga retreat in January uh, for our, our Vatoga teachers. So we're going to start doing more yoga retreats in California. We have a retreat space out here that we partner with my business partner at OGIS Retreat Center. And so people can look on the website. We're going to start posting those opportunities. And as a nonprofit, we make all these experiences free for veterans um, and military. So uh, every dollar we raise um, goes to that mission and paying for their flights, their lodging, their food, and the experience of taking these classes or these trainings. Um, so, yeah, we just had Giving Tuesday yesterday, which was you know a big day for a lot of nonprofits. So we we did some fundraisers. So those funds are going to go to this. We have a retreat coming up in January. So the money we raised yesterday is paying for people's travel to come out and do a yoga retreat. So uh, we'll post those opportunities on the website that people can look for. That's excellent. So uh, once again, vetoga.org, vetoga DC on Instagram, uh, also your personal Instagram at jblazeyoga. Uh, yeah, check, check, them, check them out, guys. And if you're looking to get involved in yoga or you're looking to donate, uh, definitely a great cause. This has been an awesome interview. And, uh, you know, I'll throw a, a shameless plug in here. If you're <laughs> interested in, in CBD, definitely check out Ned. Uh, helloned.com slash battle line because the people, a lot of vets, you know, we've actually had Marines who have tried CBD now because of the show and they're having like amazing experiences with it. So helloned.com slash battle line uh, and you'll get a discount from us uh, depending on what you spend. You could also get their uh, new uh, blend. Anything uh, anything else before we wrap this up? I'm, I'm really, I, I got to thank my mom for, you know, <laughs> sparking up a conversation with you at the airport because that's how this happened to be honest. Yeah, tell your mom thank you. And, it, you know, your mom's a sweetheart, I could tell, coming over to back. But um, my mom uh, is a great person, too. And we're both mama's boys, I can tell. And uh, <laughs> we're here because of them. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and just keep doing what you're doing. And if you ever want to bring me back on, if, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to throw some other names at you, people I think it would you'd have a good conversation with. And uh, it was great to connect and I'm looking forward to our relationship moving forward and how we can help each other and support our community out there. So absolutely. I'll have this up on Monday and uh, yeah, as always guys, I'll leave us a review on Apple podcasts and uh, thank you again. That's all for this episode of the battle line podcast, but we'll be back on Monday with more American straight talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.